Neuropathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology, neurosurgery, neurorehab, and psychiatry. The 2016 National Survey of Children's Health estimated that 85% of youths aged 12 to 17 did not receive adequate preparation for their transition from pediatric to adult care. As a result, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Family Physicians, and the American College of Physicians published a clinical report in support of the healthcare transition of adolescents to adult care in the medical home. In today's episode of Neural Pathways, we're discussing how a formal transition process has been developed and applied to the neurological patient population. I'm your host, Glenn Stevens, neurologist, neuro-oncologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. I'm very pleased to have Dr. Deepak Lashwani, Dr. Tatiana Falcone, and nurse practitioner Carrie Como join me for today's conversation. Dr. Lakshwani is a pediatric epileptologist and Dr. Falcone, a psychiatrist, both in Cleveland Clinic's Charles Shore Epilepsy Center. Carrie holds a doctorate in nursing practice and is director of advanced practice nursing in Cleveland Clinic's Pediatric Institute. Welcome to Neuropathways. Thank you, Dr. Stevens. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you, Dr. Stevens. So let's get started. Uh, within the context of this uh, clinical report by the various panels, how do we define transition of care? So transition of care is really defined as a process where you're moving from a child or family-centered model of health care to an adult or patient-centered model of care. It could be moving from provider to provider, but that doesn't necessarily happen. Um, if you're within a practice that can see patients of all ages, then it's just the way you are treating that individual patient that changes. So a family practice office, for example, can continue to see the adolescent into adulthood, but they're going to change the way they talk and address that individual patient instead of looking at the family for appointments and scheduling and uh, education. They're going to look at the individual patient by themselves. And we can do the same thing in epilepsy. So in the neuro-oncology field, you know, one of the problems that we run into is the pediatric neuro-oncology patients need to be transferred to an adult patient at some point. It always amazes me sometimes how long uh, the pediatricians will look after their patients. Uh, you know, sometimes they'll be seeing patients in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. You know, there's a lot of separation anxiety uh, as it goes through. Uh, and it would... A lot of the pediatric patients require long-term neurologic care. So can we talk about the opportunity for transition within the neurologic field itself? Um, how do you find it? How difficult is it for you to let go of your patients? How difficult is it for them to let go of you? I imagine very difficult. I absolutely agree with you, Dr. Stevens. I think that it is just uh, one of the aspects of healthcare where We've just not had a good connecting the dots when it comes to a smooth move from their pediatric or youth age group to an adult age group. And I think that is probably one of the reasons why it has been so difficult for pediatricians or pediatric healthcare providers to feel like that they can let go of their families, patients, because they've been really bonded with them since 
early childhood, if not since birth, and for them to know that, well, there is not a good process in place so that they can really move or graduate smoothly into the adult world is quite disconcerting. And if you can imagine if that is disconcerting for the pediatric care providers, it is 10 times, if not more so, for the parents and family members of the pediatric patient. So there's a lot of apprehension, and I think that is really more on uh, on account of lack of a process in place. But I think that the more we look at this entire uh, gamut of healthcare, we realize that there is about 30 million uh, U.S. young adults that are transitioning to the adult age group every year. They're transitioning to adulthood every year. And there is about 25 to 30% of them who don't have any insurance anymore because now they are beyond the family's health insurance plans. And about 30% of them don't have any primary care providers anymore because at 18, many pediatric practices would say, you know, you can right now find somebody, but there's no process to make the transition happen. So I think that there is a lot of opportunity, especially in chronic illnesses, especially when it comes to brain health, because that is one of the more apprehensive areas for any medical care provider in general, for us to try and smooth this process in a way that the healthcare needs are met with in the most appropriate way, and the best quality of care can be maintained for young adults as they transition into adulthood. So I'm just curious, who's the driver? I suspect it's probably more the pediatric uh, physician or practitioner that's the driver as opposed to the patient, or are the patients the driver for transitioning? Well, we, we really ask the patients to be involved from the beginning. So the idea of transition is to look at it as a process, and we want to start early. So um, it is suggested in that report that you referenced at the introduction, it's important to start at age 12 to 14 introducing this idea. Now, that is not to say anybody's asking a patient to transfer their care at age 14, but we want to talk to the patient and the family and say, we recognize that this isn't forever in pediatrics, that we're going to need to help you along the way. And we're going to do it in a systematic process approach. We have a plan for you, and we're going to develop it with you along the way. So that's really when it is recommended to start anywhere from 14 to 18, we start tracking their readiness. So we have, with the um, help of Got Transition, which is a HRSA-funded organization that has really been the front runner in the healthcare transition research process, we implemented their six core elements of transition here at the Cleveland Clinic. And so we have a readiness assessment that we can send out through my chart and it will go to the individual patient and ask them questions that help the provider then figure out where they are in the process. If they're fully independent and they know their healthcare, if they know their prescriptions, if they know what their disease process is and they can communicate it to somebody, they're further ahead in the process than somebody who can't do some of those things. And so then through their next few years, we monitor their readiness and we start planning. We look at goals with them as to what they want in an adult provider, what they need to learn for themselves, what they need to take over. So can they make their own appointment? Do they know how to call the, the office to do that? Do they know how to use my chart to schedule things? And we work over as much time as they need to go forward. The transfer of care to if they're going to another provider actually isn't until number five in the whole process. So it comes later. And so there's a lot of planning that goes in prior to that. And we also want to keep the doors open. So there is a step six that's called transfer completion. 
we want to make sure that there's an open line of communication between those those providers. So the one that is releasing that patient should still be able to answer questions if there's something that comes up so that the patient doesn't feel like they're stranded in a brand new office with somebody. Yeah, sounds like a great process. What happens for patients that don't go through this process, uh, that don't get transitioned? Uh, so the research has shown that their outcomes are poor, their, their chronic health is disease processes are not maintained as well. Um, examples in sickle cell populations, those are the, the young adults that end up in emergency rooms. You know, as Dr. Lashwani said, 30% of this age group, 18 to 25, doesn't have a primary care physician. Think of all of the primary care illnesses that could be intervened with early if, if treated early. And um, if you don't have a primary care provider, you know, it, it's harder to find the the illnesses early. So they have poorer outcomes. The increase, the cost of care is increased if you're not treating a chronic illness and they show up in the emergency room, you know, it would be obviously more cost effective to treat that in the, in the outpatient setting. So the report came out in 2016. When did we start developing a formal transition process? We at the Cleveland Clinic started in around 20. 14. There was a predecessor to that 2016 report back in 2011, and that's when Got Transition really started going. And um, what happened in 2014, everything was very grassroots. So there would be um, endocrinology, for example, and pediatrics was very involved, and they had a process for themselves. And um, nephrology had a process for their renal transplant patients, but not for everybody else. And so there were little pockets of this going on in various places, but not a universal um, program for everybody. And so in 2014 is when we really started bringing both adult providers and pediatric providers together to start talking about how we could uh, make a more universal process for everybody. Deepak, did you want to add? Yeah, just uh, in the more recent times, I think this concept of differentiated lifetime care became something that came on the radar for the entire institution about 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Since the last couple of years, there has been a very nice and organized proactive approach to trying to make healthcare transition happen in a seamless fashion for the youth has been like in the limelight. And so as of 2020, I think Carrie can speak to it with in regards to the milestones. As of 2020, we've had uh, a very careful look and a launch when it comes to the uh, the statement, uh, the policy statement for healthcare transition and uh, pilot projects when it comes to some different areas where people have proactively kind of started uh, ironing out the details uh, to, uh, to make some best practices happen for other subspecialty areas also to pick up and take it from there. Dr. Falcon, Carrie, do you want to add to it in terms of since when the more organized effort has started for transition? Sure. The the 2020 is, um, I was lucky enough with my, my partner in crime, Julie Corder, who's another nurse practitioner that I worked with on transition. We were lucky enough to be introduced to Dr. Kendall Cobb. And at that point, she was working on the differentiated lifetime care and um, realized the importance that transition had across the lifespan of these patients that we all take care of. And so that's when um, a more robust initiative took uh, took hold here. And we have now had seven pilot sites um, start 
a formal transition uh, plan and process, epilepsy being one of those. And that's how I was introduced to Dr. Lashwani. Um, and we have several other locations that have begun implementing this process for their whole teams. So uh, Deepak and Tatiana, that's a nice transition. You're both in the epilepsy area. Uh, why don't you uh, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about how you and epilepsy have looked at transition plans for your patients? In uh, epilepsy, probably since around 2007, we started looking at the issue. But like as Carrie said, in 2014 is when we start trying to put the plan uh, more in place. But we see that uh, in patients with like chronic illness that have like neurologic issues, psychiatric issues, and they have like other uh, complex medical issues, unless we have a concerted effort to make this change, like identify a pediatrician, identify the internal medicine provider, identify the adult epileptologist, the adult psychiatrist. As Carrie was saying, these patients end up getting their care from the emergency room and then having a lot more problems and medical issues because they don't know what provider to consult when they're having uh, any problems. So if I can add to that, uh, Dr. Stevens, you know, in epilepsy, we are lucky because we have the spectrum of uh, pediatric as well as adult care providers under the same roof. And uh, we have recognized that this is uh, an area of opportunity and also a gap, unfortunately, for many of the patients that uh, don't have a smooth process of transition. So we've kind of looked at it for programmatically together with Dr. Falcone and, and Carrie, and we, uh, we look at it as two buckets. You know, if a patient is about 14, 15, 17, 18, uh, we look at their two aspects to their needs which require transition. And simply speaking, from a 10,000-foot view, there is the medical aspect, whether it is you know, neuromuscular disease or epilepsy that requires a neurologist's care or um, physical therapy and occupational therapy care or a behavioral health care, whether it is pulmonary care. So there is a medical aspect um, the focus in epilepsy being the seizure medical aspect, but some other key subspecialties that are needed. So that's the medical bucket of things that require transition, which means finding a provider that can take care of epilepsy uh, as an adult provider or behavioral health as an adult behavioral health provider uh, or another subspecialty. But the other aspect, which I think is just as important, if not sometimes more important, is the non-medical aspect of transition. So now this is not a 12 or 13-year-old that can go to um, a daycare center or a school that is meant for you know, people, for, for youth that are less than 18, 20 years of age. Um, this is now a young adult that probably wants to participate in the community. So health programs in the community recreational programs in the community, this is probably a youth that will need to live at some level independently, autonomously, or in the supervised healthcare setting, residential setting. So there is a whole bucket of non-medical aspects of transition, which are very relevant. And those are probably the source 
of the most um, unhappiness or dissatisfaction when it comes to the family units of youth, 25, 30, 40 year old, that need the transition happening. You know, their guardianship issues, their insurance issues, their other legal issues that are relevant for the state or the community in which they live in. So we have tried to approach it simply breaking into these two buckets of medical needs and non-medical needs. And the backdrop of this is really, let us say, a care provider like myself as an epileptologist or Dr. Falcone. And the, the, um, the link between these is really, in our minds, a navigator. And so the first intervention that we think of in the background is to look at a patient's needs, tailor them to the one or two or five important needs, epileptologists, psychiatrists, what have you, and then have a navigator intervene by virtual meeting with such a family and lay out the ground rules, the lay out the lay of the land of what might be involved in transition and see how we can meet their needs. And from then on, make this process of transition happen in a way that we can really handhold them across the threshold rather than you know, dump as a transfer of care, just one fine morning, you cannot see your pediatric provider, now go and find a adult provider. So I think this is how we're looking at it in a big picture view. Obviously, this is a process that requires a lot of learning, and we are in that phase right now. But I think we've had some initial success in trying to see how we can make the needs happen. Tatiana, young adults are increasingly recognized as a vulnerable population in terms of high rates as mentioned earlier, of behavioral health risk. Can you talk about your specific role in the transition for these patients? One of the things that we're actually trying to do is uh, starting from the time they're 16, right? And during those years before the moment of transition, identifying what are their needs. Do the patient know how to take their medication? Do the patient know how many medications they take? Uh, who are they seeing for each one of their providers and why are they seeing them? Um, how much support the patient is going to need from the family? Um, are they going to need guardianship, right? And like kind of like using some different tools that are actually now uh, available in EPIC, trying to track the progress that we get with the patient each year. So by the time the patient gets to 18, like it won't be just uh, a transfer. They will know like all the important things and they will be able to advocate for themselves, know how to make an appointment, right? Um, in patients with behavioral health issues, we know that like one of the major transitions is college, right? So when the kids move out to college, they start um, living in a different place. Most of them, right, trying to manage their own medications. And some of them don't even know how to call for a prescription, who to call, like, and sometimes the address are not updated. So the prescription might be sent to a parent's house. So we try to look at the whole picture and prevent and make sure that if the patient is a stable, right, we try to transition them right there before the 18. But if the patient is about to move and we still feel like they're not where they're supposed to be, we keep them one more year until we feel like emotionally and medically they're more stable to uh, have a successful transition. You know, the term that I, I uh, comes to mind is a village, right, that it takes a village, uh, and it really does. So there's obviously other members involved 
in the team. Who are the other folks that you need? Sounds like you need a lot, but who else is involved in the process? Everybody that touches the patient. So the parent and the patient are absolutely involved in the process. We have PSSs that are trained through our pilots um, on what transition is. We developed an education module so that everybody who is a part of the, the clinical team can take it and they are trained what transition is, what the steps are, and what the things that we have in place here at the Cleveland Clinic. So PSSs, RNs, LPNs, MAs in the office, um, social work, anyone that you can think of that is a caregiver and touches the patient has a role in this process. So if I'm not a member of a big healthcare system uh, and I'm sitting out there and I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, how do I do this in my patient population? So what do we tell pediatricians out there that don't have as big a system? How can they get on board with this? What do they do? I would say the first place to look would be gottransition.org. That is um, uh, a website that is a wealth of information for both patients and families, researchers. They have different categories. And I can say, honestly, every time I go on that website, I find something new and it has been a, a just a wealth of information for us. Deepak or Tatiana, anything to add to that? Yeah, there's so many tools in the website, right? And some of them are even targeted by different uh, specifics, by age, right? By behavior, right? And just like one of the things that I'm, I am seeing with our transition clinic is the parents feel this is so helpful for them. They feel like, you know, I was so afraid to what was going to happen after 18, right? So the fact that you're empowering the family with the information that they need, and also young adult who is now going to start this journey where they have to be more responsible of their own care, it really gives them a lot of the tools that they need. So I think they feel really encourage. Um, and they looking at the website, you can find a lot of like the tools that we're talking about. I know the American Academy of Neurology also has one uh, new tool that I developed for patients with uh, neurologic conditions. But I think our first stop has really been like a transition.org. Go ahead, Deepak. You know, Every patient-facing care provider needs to be involved from grassroots up, but also from leadership down, I think the awareness has to be across the board. The days of trying to find a pediatric champion rheumatologist who will keep taking care of these patients until they are 40, 50, 60, or a pediatric champion endocrinologist or a pediatric champion, any subspecialty provider that will take care of these patients, I think that era is gone. We really have to look at it as a programmatic change where the pool of care providers across the spectrum of different ages have to be ready. I think we have to partner and educate our adult healthcare providers at every level that you know these youth are going to become adults one day and they cannot just hang on with a champion pediatrician that can continue to provide care for them. As a simple example, I'll tell you in the last five years, American Academy of Neurology they have increased about 53% general neurology training positions. They have increased about 30% pediatric neurology training positions. So the pool 
of pediatric providers is really never going to be as large or increase as well as the adult care providers. But I think it's about time that we can start just partnering and educating our adult care providers in a way that transition is, there's there's no fear factor or apprehend factor, factor about how are we going to take care of these overgrown children. This is not what it is. These are young adults. These are adults that really need care of the highest quality. And there is no reason why we cannot partner with our adult care providers to make this happen. So in closing, any additional tips or recommendations that we haven't uh, talked about that you think might be important? I would say that uh, the tools at Got Transition about just becoming aware of what transition is, I think that's an educational tool. Um, within the epilepsy center, you know, a high percentage, more than 50, 50% of care providers are familiar with it across the board, pediatric to adult. So I think education is the first step. And then just recognizing that differentiated, life, differentiated lifetime care is the best way to take care of uh, what is otherwise the largest portion of the population that does EDUs less than 75 years of age is the youth that just don't have anywhere to go in a meaningfully transitioned way. They really use the ED and urgent care a lot. And that's just poor quality of care at the highest cost. Now we'll say for the providers, start the process early. I think, you know, we definitely identify the kids with like medical complexities are harder to transition because some of those issues so starting the process when they're like 14 to 16 will help us get them ready by the time they're 18. Great so I think that we all just need to make sure we're intentional and bringing it to light helps everyone. In closing I'd like to thank you three for joining us today it's been very educational for myself and I'm sure our listeners uh, it's wonderful to hear all the intentional work that you are doing to try to move the pediatric patients forward. And uh, Deepak, I know you don't like the word champion anymore, but I guess we might need more adult champions to uh, accept these patients and and be willing to move forward with it. Uh, But I'd like to thank you three for joining me today and uh, look forward to seeing you again in the future and all the great things you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Stevens. Thank you, Dr. Stevens. Thank you so much for the invitation. This concludes this episode of Neuropathways. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash neuropodcast, or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our ConsultQD website. That's consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash Nero or follow us on Twitter at CLEClinicMD, all one word. And thank you for listening.